trending news right now. We continue then our discussion on what's happened in social media in the last 24 hours with Katlego Silwadi. Let's talk hashtag Rebecca now. Um, Katlego, there's violence uh, between taxi drivers and Somalian shop owners in Gorston that has unfolded there. On Wednesday, 13th October, taxis and shops even being burned. What happened? So we know that several minibus uh, taxis and two cars were set alight in um, an alleged violent role in Gorton, Kabecha. Uh, the taxis um, and cars that were set alight, um, you know, this happened, as you said, on Wednesday afternoon. And um, depending on who you speak to, you know, there just seems to be different accounts of what happened. Mm. According to the police, though, um, the taxi driver instigated or, you know, initiated the attack. Um, apparently, an Audi and a taxi driver got into an accident. Um, the driver of the Audi happened to be a Somalian national. Um, then the taxi driver, you know, sort of attacked um, the Somalian national and, um, you know, set alight um, his car. Okay, and I, I don't know, I mean, in terms of the violence erupting, that it might take us back to, you know, those ugly, ugly scenes that we saw in Deep Slot some years back ago uh, in terms of xenophobic and uh, African, what do they call it? They're saying let's not call it xenophobia, now. let's call it Afrophobia and the attacks in terms of that. Are there sentiments around that in, in terms of the community and what they're saying? Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, something uh, or videos that are circulating on social media show, um, you know, foreign nationals almost uniting against South Africans, you know, um, saying that we're supposed to be one nation, we're supposed to be um, all united, um, and there seems, to be, there seems to be criticism against South Africa that, you know, we supported you when you were going through a bad date, we supported you um, when you are going through dif- difficult times, and, you know, now that we are here, you're making it difficult for us to live in South Africa. So um, definitely conversations around Afrophobia. And I mean, you know, these um, conversations are never easy, you know, because they spark um, conversations around, you know, foreign nationals taking people's jobs, taking people's rights, taking people's opportunities, um, even in terms of service, um, services, you know, just um, South Africa not being able to deal with the capacity of the foreign nationals, especially undocumented ones who are in the country. As you know that, you know, when budgets are set out, there's an understanding that, okay, we've got 2,000 people in this uh, town, this city, and, but we know that our services tend to cater for more because people are undocumented. So, you know, definitely um, causing friction and, you know, with what we have seen already just in seeing um, with um, Indians and, um, and um, you know, African people um, in, in KZN, um, and then now this. And, you know, we spoke about it when, when we talk about the DA saying, you know, saying people, these people are heroes, and, and how some, sometimes these statements, we take them for granted, but, um, you know, it, they are harbored in people's subconscious mind. And people say in this instance, um, you know, the taxi driver, this was an instance of road rage. But I think that it's a bigger conversation that, um, you know, the, the way we use um, terms, because there was a video as well on, on social media where a taxi driver um, used a derogatory term to refer to uh, Somalian nationals. So, you know, these are just some of the things that um, 
I think are as a result of, you know, how we use language and, you know, the things that we say. And it also just tells me that, um, you know, we're not as united as we'd like to think. Um, deep down, people are angry, people are frustrated, and uh, it takes a simple accident. Uh, I mean, they could have called the police, called uh, to, you know, uh, report the, the, the accident and, you know, the day would have been done. But um, unfortunately, taxis and um, uh, civilians' cars have now been set alight. Violence is violence at the end of the day. I mean, in spite of peace missions that have happened in the continent between whichever countries and diplomatic support, this is something that should be a legal matter. The law should take its course. I don't know why we're taking it to as far as making it about Afrophobia and, you know, the sentiments being echoed then in terms of even derogatory statements being issued, as you say. And, I mean, you you talk about how this is it was an accident that could have been, you know, handled the law uh, by the law in terms of that avenue why are we being triggered so easily to take a, you know a matchstick or a light from a match and blow it into a volcano it seems exactly and this is what i'm saying that you know um, it seems that we are simply tolerating each other and we are you know it takes just uh, you know a, a car accident which can happen to anybody by the way this could have been you know a taxi driver and say for example another um South African um, citizen, you mm. know, it wouldn't have been an issue, but um, you know, we seem to be harboring inner hate, uh, deep hate, um, that I think we need to really look into uh, as soon as possible. Otherwise, we're really going to see flames in our country. Um, one of the conversations that have come up is just how, you know, in the videos that we've seen with the Somalian uh, nationals, the guns that they carry, you know, people saying those are like war zone weapons. Um, and just the access to that, where do they get that? Are they licensed? And, you know, obviously the legality of it, being able to just walk around in the streets with, you know, um, big AK-47 rifles, um, obviously also posing danger to people in the communities. You know, people live in fear. And, um, you know, we've seen incidents where people are caught up in crossfires leading to deaths and loss of lives. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and um, this is an indication of that. Taxi drivers also carry guns. We know that that's a volatile industry. And, I mean, when it comes to the behavior of taxi drivers as well, they don't drive well. There hasn't been statistics done on this. There's no scientific proof, but we see it. We experience it as drivers in this country. Is anyone blaming the taxi drivers? Because we know them to be not so great in terms of their driving skills on the road and not so considerate. Mm, definitely fingers pointing at um, taxi drivers and not so, I mean, you know, we know, as you say, you know, how they drive. We know the bullying that takes place. Um, we know how impatient they are with, you know, um, other people on the road. Um, but a conversation that is coming up also is that, you know, just around how um, they seem to think that they're above the law, you know. Um, if you just think about taxi violence um, um, incidents that have happened in the past where, you know, there'll be, there'll be um, 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 shootouts but, and, and no arrests, you know. So there seems to be a sense of complacency and a sense of, you know, we are above the law. Nobody can do anything to us, um, especially in the taxi industry. Whenever there are shootouts or, you know, incidents of violence, rarely are there any arrests. So, you know, it, 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 it's one of those industries that um, are said to, you know, people say that they behave and um, as if they're above the law. And and I think that, you know, it's, it's quite true. Um, 
we have either been lenient or we have let them get away with too much. And I think that as an industry, they know this, um, you know, that there's a certain unspoken fear of taxi drivers. And, you know, people are already saying that um, Somalians have started a war, you know, against taxi drivers. And that's quite intense if, if I think about it. I mean, this is just an industry that's supposed to, you know, provide a service to people. But um, here they are, they can, you know, uh, get into a war with um, foreign nationals. A lot of accidents are caused by taxi drivers, though. Let's be honest in terms of that as well. This is a developing story, we need to say. So more needs to come to the fore uh, in terms of discussions on this and the law taking its course. But does this also shine the spotlight then in terms of foreign nationals in the country who are driving and the driver's licenses they are using? Is there a correlation in terms of the requirements from other countries when it comes to one getting their driver's test and license and how that connects to our laws and, and, and uh, rules of the road. Uh, interesting to that point. Um, at just Jamal, on Twitter, I was just saying um, what's happening in South Africa is as a result of porous borders in South Africa. Uncontrolled influx of illegal immigrants undermines our sovereignty and poses security threats to the citizens of this country. The first mandate of any state is to protect its citizens, and we are failing as a state. And I tend to agree with this, exactly to your point, that, um, you know, immediately, first of all, for people to be documented in this country, then we can look into do they get licenses the correct way, do they abide to our laws. But if we're just, you know, battling with um, managing who comes into our country um, and knowing that, you know, people can pay a bribe and, you know, basically start a new life in South Africa, what more a license, what more a, you know, a, a, a learner's driving test, um, you know, why would anybody go through the right channels for that? Yeah, you know, we used to joke with people who can't drive nicely on the road and say, this person is driving with a TV license. But, you know, it's it's quite a serious issue. <laughs> like, seriously, uh, so many accidents happening. I think even the issue of those uh, delivery uh, motorcycles getting into accidents, almost every day I see that. How are we driving, honestly? Okay, let's talk uh, Mithali Ndamase. That story is developing. I'm sure we'll talk about it later as well. Uh, so this beauty influencer has launched uh, uh, an app or, I don't know, a platform. It's called Malachite, and this is to connect beauticians and uh, customers. I'm not sure. Mm. Tell me more. So she, she uh, went to Instagram to tell us about this, but you will know more. Yeah, absolutely. This for me is an exciting story. So as you said, she's launching um, Malachite on the 15th of October, and essentially it's a platform for beauty um, um you know, people in the beauty industry to be able to access and um, find um, opportunities a lot more easily. And I think that this honestly just signifies, um, you know, the growth of the beauty industry. Um, and, you know, the moves that Michali is making are, are you know, quite um, commendable and are exemplary of what young people can do when they're given when they're given access to, you know, technology and they have access to platforms. Um, um, and I think that another, you know, good point to note is that mm-hmm. um, people can create jobs, you know. Um, a, a, a job as a makeup artist is now taken seriously. And then I think that the strides that Michelle is making is assisting that. Mm. So it's uh, launching Friday, the 15th of October, uh, this Malachite uh, network or platform. Are there partnerships that she entered into for this? Um, we don't know as yet. Um, I think that a lot more information will be 
are revealed um, at the launch. But, um, you know, rumors have come out that after this, she might release her own makeup line. Um, and, you know, those are things that, um, you know, if you follow Kylie Jenner on social media, you know that those are the moves and those are the strides that she has made to be able to build um, this empire that she's built around herself. But, you know, really um, amazing for Michelin Damase to be able to, you know, um, take her, her following with 1, uh, 1.5 million followers on Instagram and um, close to a million followers on Twitter, and to be able to monetize that, um, I think for me is is a, you know a, a good step in the right direction. And also for people to know that you know you don't have to be in law, you don't have to be in traditional type of industries. There's so much more, um, and and this beauty industry is growing, and mm. Kelly is just showing us examples of what can be done with it. Yeah, good for her. I mean, she was also named Forbes uh, Africa 30 Under 30 uh, 2021. In, in terms of that list, and also, as you say, she's amassed a huge social media following. Who's the target market for Malachite? So from the video, at least from what I have picked up, is that it's people who are in the beauty industry, so people who are makeup artists, potentially people who are um, who do hair, people who do nails. And I think, um, you know, the, the one thing that I picked up is that um, she's also selling convenience, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know how much people will pay for that, um, where you wake up in the morning and you're literally just struggling with this one eyebrow. You can literally get onto the app and find somebody closest to you. You can, you know, kind of come to your assistance as soon as possible. So, um, yeah, really great, a great platform. I look forward to seeing what else um, she does with it. And convenience is all we need right now with COVID. We don't want to be going out. We want people to come to us. Uh, so mm-hmm, quite yeah. necessary. I'm reminded of the word Malachi, which is a Hebrew name for my messenger. I wonder if Malachi has been derived from that. And she mm. feels like she's, this is a messenger type of a, a platform. <laughs> mm. So there's been speculations about, um, you know, what it could mean and yeah. um, where the name comes out comes from because, you know, her name is Nishalin Damase and in Malachi you don't really pick up, you know, which part of her name is in the in the in the in the brand. But um, I think all information will be um um revealed to us at the launch. I'm really, really excited for that. Um kudos to Nishali and just creating job opportunities, different job opportunities for young people. Um we know that she's got a very charitable heart. She's got her foundation um that's running Sizana Foundation. So, yeah, you know, it's good to see that she's using her platform also for a worthy cause. Yeah, great. I, I would love it if she had Malachi infused in that, if it was intentional that she used that biblical word, that Hebrew word. I would love it. Dereita is the last one we talk about. So uh, the CEO, Andre Dereita of ESCOM, saying uh, they are working to avoid load shedding for the election season. Um, we'll see how that goes. There's, they're always working to avoid load shedding, but we still have it. Does it matter what the explanations are at this point? Uh, but what is he saying? Uh, tell us, Katla. So at this point, you know, um, I actually read something interesting. An energy expert, uh, Ted Blom, was just saying that 18 months ago, Andre Dereta said that um, he, he would have all the, um, the plants refurbished and that low shedding would end. And then earlier this year, he came out to say he's not going to spend money on refurbishing the plants. He, it would be a better investment um, put into renewables so you know as you said like at this point people are you know quite fed up um they it doesn't matter what the explanation is um and 
to my surprise, I would think that, you know, in the summer spring season, um, consumption is less. So, you know, it should be manageable um, just to avoid low shedding. But we know that um, the power utility last week, Thursday, introduced stage two load shedding. And I cannot tell you the inconvenience that it has caused, especially, um, you know, for people who are working from home. Um, not everybody has gone back um, fully into the office. So, you know, just trying to, ma- and you don't know, you know, you can check the schedule, but they seem to be surprised this as well, where, you know, colleagues wake up in the morning and there's no electricity and suddenly they need to find a plan to be able to work. I'm so tired of load shedding. We had 12 hours in my area. So what happens is that the load shedding messes up with the cables. So after mm. about three consecutive or four consecutive days, yeah, three to four, day on the, on the fifth day, everything just shuts down. I think mm. mentally we also just shut down. Anyway, mm. so um, the CEO is saying they're plan- planning very carefully to do everything in their power to ensure. <laughs> <laughs> to ensure there is no load shedding during elections. I mean, no offense, but that's funny because there isn't power they have. They don't have it. <laughs> but, I mean, this is yeah. not an assuring statement also. I mean, we, we've had so many of this being said before. We've heard it before. Mm, mm, absolutely. Um, we've gone through the winter season with load shedding. And as I say, I, I would think that, you know, in the summer-spring season, consumption is way less, you know, it's, it's quite warm. People are not lighting up their heaters and, you know, stuff like that. But, um, you know, they think they'll do their best to ensure that, um, you know, this is resolved quite quickly. But we know that they're also trying to ensure that, um, you know, uh, there isn't no cheating leading up to the elections, or at least on the day of the elections. At least on the day. I don't know how reassuring that is, at least on the day. And I don't know how reassuring that is. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, saying to somebody, suffer for a couple of weeks, but on the day that you need to vote, you know, there'll definitely be electricity. I don't know how, you know, that works for somebody who has deliverables at work, for example, mm. or has a, you know, you have a little baby and, you know, you need to do certain things. You need to be able to cook for your children. And now you're being told, don't worry, on election day, you'll definitely have electricity. I don't know about that. Why are we not focusing so much more on the alternate sources of power conversation? I mean, where is our innovation and advancement in terms of renewable energy? We know energy demand is going to be doubled by 2024. That's in four years. Why are we not talking more about alternate sources of power? Is it because of high costs or is it lack of proper foresight? I think it's lack of proper foresight, lack of planning, um, and also just, you know, how we spend our money. Um, Are you still there? Yes, yes. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, you know, how we spend our money, we know that um, we've had to rescue ESCOM quite a few times. So, you know, what is being done with the budget that is placed for them? And, you know, what was interesting um, was that um, we have been warned that they, we should expect a controlled blackout for at least the next five years. And you ask yourself if you can preempt five years of blackouts, can you not preempt yeah. you know, consumption levels? Can you not preempt, as you say, innovation um, and, you know, we really need to invest in this. If it's the skills that are needed, then let's do that. Um, we, we, I, I honestly don't understand what the issue is. Um, and as you said, people are just tired and, and quite fed up. Um, and, you know, it doesn't make it easier sitting during a time of COVID. So, yeah, ESCOM really, really needs to do better. Um, we as South Africans deserve better as well. Yeah. And uh, Jeffrey's Bay Wind Farm in the Eastern Cape being an example as well as the uh, wind turbines in Darling, mm-hmm. in the Cape. 
I don't know if we can say these are predominantly white areas and, and maybe this might be an issue of those who are poorer. But do you think then that NERSA's renewable energy feed in tariff might help, which is working to reduce carbon-based power uh, to more renewable power. And also SARS in 2016 said they would incentivize a rollout of renewable energy in private uh, in the private sector. Could these be motivation or not really? We don't even know about them. Uh, I'm not sure. And just in terms of, you know, um, you know how much people spend on uh, electricity, you know, we saw in the news where so if um, so the residents, for example, were saying that they refused to be paying for electricity and they dumped cables and all of that, and everybody else has to, you know, bear the, the cost of all of that. So I think, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult conversation, um, you know, and also just in terms of if you live in Sanson, for example, you're charged way, way higher than, for example, if you just live across the road in Alex. Um, and, you know, we know that it's an affordability thing, but there's also been, um, you know, complaints about how it's getting so expensive. So for a thousand rand, then you'll get like 300 or 400 units, you know. Um, and so, so just the math's not making sense there to say how much does electricity actually cost. And, you know, obviously affecting people's budgets as well, because here you are thinking this will last me this long and, and mm. it doesn't look that way. Okay, we've got a, a listener saying that uh, they like you. Uh, this is uh, in Etzolo saying, I like your social media commentator. We have a girl, no Rimi. You can tell that you, you, uh, you like other people's business, which is a compliment because it means you do your research. <laughs> yeah, we have to, You know what you're talking to. about. Okay, so <laughs> there you go from Tzolo there. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Katlejo, for joining us. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day, Asanda. Thank you. Happy Thursday to you too. Katle Khosilwadi, social commentator discussing trending topics with us here on SAFM Sound Awake. So let's listen to what you have to say then, fam, and uh, we'll go to some music. Uh, morning, sister Asanda. There you are now. Zuma Prayer Mabita Stadium. That is the reason why Zuma was released, to mobilize for ANC 